think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 32 of the 33rd episode of the Boys in Short Pants. Uh, today we have with us our, our old friend, friend of the show, Ian Bushfield of, uh, of Politico's podcast, as well as uh, the BC Humanist thing? Yeah, you... BC Humanist Association. That's the Politicos. one. That's what I was going to say. And on the board of BC Civil Liberty Association. Well, but I'm just representing me today, obviously. My best friends. Yeah. I remember a lot of supportive quotes from the BCCLA when I worked at Public Safety. They had, a lot of, they had a lot of nice things to say about our legislation. Oh, oh. yes, a certain legislation <laughs> ending in an odd National number. security policy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we haven't recorded in a while just because we had some sort of, like, life stuff to sort out uh, to see if we could keep you in the show. Turns out we can. Laurent's having a child. Yeah, that's, I'm pregnant myself <laughs> with a job. baby baby seahorse. Also a job. Uh, so, yeah, we, you know, so that that's that. But we are, we are in business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just want to start by talking about, uh, of course, the old More No Death Watch continues. Um, yeah, it's been a hell of a week for, for our friend Bill. Yeah, you picked a good time to come to Ottawa to witness, you know, his final days here. I was inches from being in question period yesterday, but apparently the Special Olympics team had dibs on the seats, oh, so fair. I didn't get That's in. That's like, you yeah. can't be like, hey, get out of the way, yeah. <laughs> you fucking kid. Yeah, the so, whole gallery was full, <laughs> yeah. so. So yeah. I didn't get in, but was... apparently it was... Everyone called for Bill Morneau's head day. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a lot of hooting and hollering in the people's house, as I mentioned on Twitter. Um, yes. I, yeah, well, we gotta look. no, I, uh, I was just gonna say it's, it's sort of unfortunate. One of the uh, when you talk to sort of MPs and in uh, the books that are done of like MPs time in the house, they always talk about like oh. the level of decorum in the house and stuff like that, and how like I was embarrassed. They, when I, I had a school group. Yeah, I was embarrassed at a school when we had school kids in, and I knew they were there and they were witnessing this in the house, and it's like, well, the Special Olympics team got one hell of a show about really what did. Canadian democracy was about. A memorable one. Well, um, I guess today was even hotter since Blake Richards, the Conservative MP for my parents' riding and where ooh. I grew up, Banffairdry. Bam Fairdry. Bam Fairdry. Is it not Airdrie Bam? Oh, man, it's it was Wild Rose okay. when I was growing up. It was Myron Thompson who wore his cowboy hat oh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was classic. Um, Myra, okay, so I was in New Brunswick. There was, I think, a convention for provincial electoral districts that they were in, if they were hyphenated, it was in alphabetical order. So, for instance, uh, my writing was Memram Cook Tantramar. I think it's by who is most powerful. Oh, of course. So Bam could eat Airdrie. So. <laughs> no, no, I actually don't know. Um, I think. But generally there's some sort of interesting this is a complete aside yeah there's some we'll we'll have to look into this there's sort of interesting parliamentary procedure around how mps generally are in charge of naming their own ridings well there actually there are a bunch of those going through the house right now are there yes chateauguay got uh renamed or what there was a vote on renaming it the other night i don't know how it went presumably passed no one votes against the renaming of someone else's riding yeah and i I believe there are several uh, quite a few of these that are actually on on the sort of wait list right now to change if i were an mp i would have voted against sunshine seed shining coast to coast or whatever the hell Uh, it is sunshine coast sea to sky country that's it stupid name that's i believe whistler's riding I think so, yeah. yeah. It would include Squamish and yeah, all that. All, all that good stuff. Yeah, okay, so that's that's a fun writing. Okay, sorry, so more so, notes. <laughs> well, Blake Richards gets kicked out today for... Fondling the maze? No, that was the last guy <laughs> in 2002. Yeah, I know. As this, you told us earlier. This was uh, for hooting and hollering. Hooting and hollering. Yeah. He, was, he was asked if he would like to leave or be removed. And I guess he chose the latter. Uh, yeah, so the there were a lot of... People heckling from both sides of the house today. It was a particularly rowdy one. Yeah, it's been rowdy all week. A lot of MPs in the gallery sort of observed that he wasn't necessarily the loudest one. He was just the closest to the speaker, and so he was perhaps the easiest target. That does happen. Because if it's, you know, the person in the far back corner, you're not sure who was yelling, then... got to make an example of someone, and sometimes it's easy to go with the conservative is right there. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the conservative benches are a lot closer to the speaker than the NDP ones, so the NDPs can... If, if you're, like, right on that threshold, you just say whatever you want. And you oh, blame, yeah. You blame it on your neighbor. You're, eight, like, you're light years away from them. <laughs> it's not even a factor. So, yeah, no, all that to say that uh, the Morno issue has been consuming sort of Ottawa's forebrain for the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, and especially this week, I'd say more than more than others, just because it's kind of reached a fever pitch. Pierre Polyev had a very dramatic moment earlier this week where he uh, he was told like, "Oh, well, if you can't say this outside of the house, then like blah blah blah," because obviously everything members say in the house is covered by parliamentary privilege. Let's can- let's actually expand on that a little. I bit I was going to explain what that means. You weren't. I was, which gonna... means that they cannot be sued. <clears throat> Or they cannot, be held, they cannot be held legally accountable for anything they say in the House. That, like, they are, as parla- members of Parliament, they can say whatever they like in the confines of the House of Commons. Yes. Okay. And sort subject of the, his... to the rules of the other MPs yeah. who could say. Yeah. Yeah. Subject, subject to yeah. the standing so orders say, and et cetera, et cetera. You can't say Bill Morneau is a chicken fucker, but you can say. <laughs> The member for Toronto, whatever his writing is, is a chicken fucker. No. The well, that, that would de- be deemed unparliamentary okay. language. Well, we've, the just, members... we've just had this debate in BC because we're not allowed to use... The minister fake, for corruption. The fake parliamentary titles. Mark. Oh, that's good, actually. That I mean, is not that one of, well, one of them were? Well, the minister for gridlock, I think corruption was in there. Minister for propaganda had been used by the NDP. So you probably past, can't so. call him the member from Renault Chappelle. That would probably be uh, out of order as well. <laughs> yeah, I guess it'll... Out That'd there. be pretty uh-huh. funny. Uh, yeah, the member for Suncor is my... We talked about this the other day, yeah. Uh, but yeah, carry on. Um, yeah, so basically what I think everyone is beating around the bush with, uh, with all the Morneau stories, is whether or not there was, you know, malice and insider trading and all these other things. I completely forgot to get to my point. Is uh, with Pierre Polyet. No, I, I was getting there. Oh, I was oh gonna, okay. We're just taking was, even more roundabout. Way. I was going to circle back. And so, the if someone were to make the allegation of insider trading against the minister and couldn't prove it, et cetera, et cetera, it falls into defamation and libel law and things along those lines. Yeah. So, the liberals have been challenging the conservatives to make allegations of insider trading and other criminal activity outside the house in fact in the foyer of the house of commons where your parliamentary privilege expires yes i heard there was a famous incident or well semi-noted incident in the last parliament where tom Mulcair referred to conrad black as a british criminal in the house (laughs) and was challenged to say it again outside of the house by uh, lord black himself this is sort of a like a once every four year thing or once every three year when someone wants to defend against their their claim or someone's making particularly outrageous uh, allegations there's yeah. always the why don't you say it outside well, see, the house in, in most workplaces when you say like you want to take this outside it's it means you're going to get into fist fights but in this lame ass line of work it's like are you going to get sued or not? Just yeah. re- repeat yourself can, 10 meters from here. I, I, to, to can, credit can I, that, I think Ishmael Darrow made a very, very similar similar joke on Twitter the other day. So don't I'm not ripping off your jokes. I just forgot about it in the moment. Uh, I think he listens, actually. So. It's anyway. more about I want to bring my lawyers into this kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. Like, a, me and my buddies are going to... No, like, you're not even going to fight. It's just... Tom, Tom Kamich made a good point about sort of the history and, and the sort of interesting because personally, I found the... My lawyers will sue you if you say this 10 yards from here. Especially coming from Trudeau, who has effectively said that. Seems like really off-brand for Trudeau. That generally you wouldn't have the prime minister clipped on the news threatening to sue the opposition. Yeah. Um, Especially based on like parliamentary privilege and stuff that, you know... Which moms he, and, and pops even, watching aren't aren't necessarily going to understand. You know, the member has parliamentary privilege, as he should... But, and then was like, I will sue the pants off of you, Pierre Polyev. Yeah, so Kamich's point was that parliamentary privilege obviously exists for a reason, and the reason it exists is it, it's sort of a protectionist measure for people who aren't in government to protect them and to enable them to say what needs to be said oh, in a like democracy. Oh, Charles II shit there, yeah. A vi- very good reason so that you can speak truth to power. That's the idea. Well, and also the court shouldn't be able to reach into the legislature. Yes. Also that. Um, ooh, power type thing. That's a good one. I was literally at the Supreme yes. Court all day. I have to be thinking about these things. <laughs> and so you can speak truth to power without fear of repercussions, basically. And so the challenge is, it's just such a weird, like, say it outside. Say, honestly, if I were in the well, we should, conservative we OLO, he, my calculation would be, let's let's take, let's do it. Let's go the libel angle. The PCs in Ontario made a sim, uh, similar calculation recently. They did. Let's do the libel one. As soon as the story is dying down, let's go outside the house and say whatever the hell we want to say within reason so that you have like a fighting case in your yeah. libel suit. But that's going to extend the media cycle. That's going to extend discussion of the minister uh, for like 
years. Yeah, that said, though, the Ontario PCs, I, I wouldn't say they've that's gone terribly well for them. But that may be more just a Patrick Brown problem than it is that particular The, the eminently problem. successful Ontario Progressive Conservative yeah, Party. Is. So, who is facing the least popular pre- premier in the country. And with the possibility of stepping on all the rakes they've strewn across their lawn in an effort to foil their foes. <laughs> we found another derail to go down. Yeah, no, we to, do that all to time. touch on the Patrick Brown it. one uh, very quickly, the, the case of Patrick Brown, for those unfamiliar with it, is Brown said something to the effect... Um, that Kathleen Wynne is on trial, which of course is not the case. She testified at criminal proceedings of related her lackeys. The, yeah, related to the Sudbury by-election shenanigans, which uh, we will not. Which has since since been thrown out. Um, but then, when pressed by her legal team and counsel to either back down on the allegations and repent, which is fairly common in libel and defamation law. Um, they made the... I think usually it's recant. Recant. Repent. 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 Recant. A, take your pick. It's, it's a, a form of repent. It's a little repentance. more dramatic to repent. Um, never claimed to be a lawyer, although I did take a journalistic law class that covered defamation Ooh, law once upon a time. I took a non-profit law class where basically lawyers here. Not there you go. Yeah, I have never taken law, but I did study Latin, so... Next best thing. Good. Um, and so Patrick Brown's team, in this instance, made the political calculation to double down and to say, let's repeat it. Let's see. Let's go to court and see how much good press we can, you know, make. How much, how much hay, how much milk we can produce out of this. Very rural metaphors today. And so I can easily see the conservative government in future taking more no and Trudeau up on their challenge. Conservative opposition. Yeah. We both got that. <laughs> what are you going to say? You said conservative government. Yeah. Ken's already had his Old one beer. Old habits die Ken's had his one beer. And, uh, okay, well, we've gotten very off track. At any rate, what happened with Polyev is he then went out into the house. Wow, we really got far. Not and out, out into the foyer. Oh, yes. Yeah, fuck. We are terrible today. Uh, he went out into the foyer and then repeated a very, very toned down version of what he had said in the house. Very toned down. And you could say there was very little resemblance between the two statements, if one were uncharitable. Um, and that has been sort of the story of the week. And there's been this sort of story that's broken today about insider trading, or alleged insider trading, I should say. Always that alleged. That, Everything here is alleged. Yeah, that frankly <laughs> seems a little flimsy, but, you know. Yeah, friends. In, in regarding uh, his Fathers selling of shares and and even before that yes you're right the story today was about his father and then before that there was a story about him sort of introducing this bill to change the tax system and then selling his shares a little bit before that like it's a little it's as you were mentioning before we started recording do you want to explain sort of the stock movement and how that sort of factors into the big picture so rather than explaining it i would encourage people to <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> right, right well no describe with words on an audio format what, <laughs> yeah. a, what a graph looks like yeah i was gonna say i was doing it with my arms earlier was, yeah that's fair um i would encourage people to take the look at the morneau chapelle stock yeah uh, to punch in the old google morneau chapelle stock um to look at the stock um history of it over the past two to three years you can find graphs uh with this where if you scroll over, you can sort of see the day by day what the clo- stock price was at close of business every day. And you can see this sort of window where the stock was sort of going along steady. And then the stock dropped. And that is where sort of right the, before the, that the is crisis when here yeah. or the point of contention is. And this was around uh, December 20th. Third or fifth or seventh, uh, yeah, twenty fifteen. I think I've heard all those dates. De- depending on what specifically you're talking about, um, which is when the stock price dropped, and then um, it dropped apparently in response to uh, liberals tabling uh, ways and means motion uh, in regards to their taxation, uh, their middle class tax bracket changes and yeah. the increased tax and. Uh, in the global piece today from David Aiken, what was controversial is uh, instead of talking about the middle class, he talked about um, capital gains measures, which weren't actually included in the Wayne's, Wayne's, Ways and Means motion. Um, they were perhaps mentioned, but the actual measures ha- were not yeah. put into effect and, in fact, have still have not been put into effect, much to the chagrin of the NDP. So we, we have gotten to the conservatives, too. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. The capital. Yeah. No. My mistake. Anyway, no. we've gotten very deep in the weeds here. Uh, what do you think is the political upshot here? The political upshot. I think it's the nail in Morneau's coffin. If there, if if it, if it like, wasn't yeah. effective. Well, so here's the thing. All of these things, like the coffin is sealed. All the nails are in there, and the conservatives are there with their nail gun, just putting more and more into it, sort of frivolously, because the damn thing's closed. Yeah. Um, what needs are to happen, though... The liberals though, are in the corner, though, like, practicing some witchcraft, hoping to well, true, raise the death more no, 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 they're not. Well, no, you're right. They're biding their time. Yeah, you're, I think they're you're correct. They're biding their time. He has to get through a budget, yeah. and then summer prorogation, final cabinet shuffle. I think you're correct. Pitch them. Though they have... Or the prime minister has repeatedly said in the house when asked if he has confidence in his prime minister that he does, and he's been a great finance minister, and that he's helping the middle class and all these great things. So I do agree with you. Their rhetoric, I think, also confirms that in the sense that they are like hanging on for dear life for the next six months or so. But I think he will not serve up the term, and I doubt he runs for re-election. So, if you pitch your finance minister when faced with scandal. Like, this amplifies the problem for you. It, it's a confession, basically. It serves yeah. as a confession. So all your crimes, and to a certain extent, Morneau did this on a small scale when he sold off his stock in yeah. uh, Morneau Chappelle. And well, he al- should... Although he never really conceded yeah. that it was a problem. The argument uh, was I didn't do he... anything wrong, yeah. but I just wanted to sell my stock. He's got the... I didn't break the letter of the law. Yeah. Which is never a great argument. No, he did. Contra- he, he did. You know, yeah. he broke the spirit, and we all, I think, around the table agree yeah. that this is, none of this looks good for him. No. But the ethics commissioner supposedly yeah. gave him the. That's not not allowed. Yeah, and we we talked about that at length <laughs> yeah, in the past. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And so I can see why he'd stick around, and they'd hold him around just to. Well, they not need to get through the budget. Admit, yeah. yeah. Like, he's, not they're, admit they're the working him. So per- perhaps a comparable example here is in, in recent memory, perhaps the most recent minister in a similar situation was Fantino. Um, if, if you sort of just you historically go back to it without going back to, uh, not Fonda, who was the, the juice? Bev Oda. Oda. Beverage Oda. <laughs> Beverage Oda. Uh, without going all the way back to kind. Oda. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly, Beverage. <laughs> um, to just stick with Fantino, Fantino was under you know Beverage similar. He, he, Sorry, had, <laughs> he had his struggles in Veterans Affairs, and the government, Fantino, who is, uh... um, and the government kept him around for quite a while until he'd sort of weathered that, and then he was yeah he was terrible demoted. Um, Take that as you will. This yeah. is sort of historically what governments have done when they're yeah. sort of demoting ministers. Is you don't you don't demote them when they're you under don't fire. Give, you don't give the opposition a head on a platter, right? Like you don't. You, you yeah. say, "Wow, this person has had such a great career, and they're going to go out the side door now, and we'll I, never hear of them." I again. cannot think of a single instance of a minister resigning to calls from the opposition to resign. Well, God, like yeah, like when you see headline news, it's like opposition calls on government minister to resign. It's like they would do that. Any day, given the slightest excuse. That's like, a, that's actually not true. Um, I think the Conservatives have actually been pretty diligent about it, about holding off on this. And Polyev actually was interviewed about this and stated explicitly this, that if you call for everyone's resignation, people start to stop taking you seriously. Fairly, yes. Um, and sort of, if you're always crying uh, wolf, then you know no one's ever going to take you seriously. So if I'm not mistaken, to date, two years in, I think there have been two calls for resignation yeah. uh, from the Conservatives. Uh, I think Harji oh, yes, over the got it over, over the architect of... You not uh, just use a gate. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I have to say, credit to the Beaverton for this, but I think one of the best Beaverton jokes I've had in, in forever, though they've been pretty good in general, was um, after they had that like world record length... like confirmed kill with the from a sniper it was like harjitsa john takes credit for <laughs> the longest sniper shot which is that was pretty good so i think that was the first call for resignation of the conservative opposition and i think this is now the second one and i would highlight that morneau has been in fi- under fire since effectively august i was trying to think of when the small business tax changes were implemented august was, is probably when it started roughly. to ramp up yeah because I mean, they were out of there so I mean, that's it the summer like 
they they tabled this stuff kind of before the summer recess. And then they had the summer recess and they got flack all throughout the summer. Yes. And then when the house came back in September uh, or mid-August or whatever it was. Not mid-August. September. Late, late September. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a very poor memory. This is like the leadership was all a blur. The house never me. sits in August. All a blur to me. Uh, but at any rate, yeah. The, like from there, like when they came back and just started shellacking him on this, it was. It was on this. And then and his then ethical the challenges yeah. have been going on for months. Yeah. Um, and so it is It is notable that the calls for resignation were very tactically chosen. Late. In response to, and not to allege that Minister Monell has done this, but if one were to be investigated for insider trading, this isn't the Ethics Commissioner doing this. This is the RCMP. Yeah. So this is a... If, it's criminal, if, rather than... Yeah, yeah. If, if this ends up happening or, or it would be criminal. whatever... It would be a criminal investigation, not an ethics commission right. investigation. So, I think we'll we've exhausted ourselves in Morneau there, and you can read more now. I've got just hours more. I know. Yes. I mean, we all do. We all do. But uh, I think we let's talk a little bit about a pretty wonky issue that's been in the house, um, and that would be an included today, and that's the uh, unprecedented secret ballot vote on C three fifty two. Yes. Tell you a little background on. C-352 is a private member's bill that was introduced by uh, NDP MP Sheila Malcolmson of uh, Nanaimo Ladysmith, or Ladysmith Nanaimo, depending on which uh, convention of writing naming you adhere to. There's no there's no conventions. <laughs> there's just an objectively correct one. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Anyway. Um, this is postmodernism here. Yeah. Postmodern <laughs> neo-Marxism. Um, yeah, sort of. Um, Do you want to talk about Laurier? No. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, 0% desire to talk about that. Um, so at any rate, this private member's bill was about derelict vessels, which if you live near a coast, I guess is important. I don't know. I don't really... We've not never talked see- about it on Politicos, but I'm, apparently it is an important... I'm derelict not, vessels? Yeah. I'm not a... God, I can't relate to this kind of I'm not a prairies. sea captain. Like, I don't know if this is a big deal, but apparently to coastal folks it is. I guess it gets in the way of their worshipping elder powers that dwell beneath the waves. <laughs> I don't really know. We're trying to um, launch your yacht. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So, at any rate, yes, yeah, so it was a cleanup of this. Uh, and the Transportation Minister, Mark Arno, tabled a motion that had to deal with various coastal affairs. A motion or legislation? It was legislation. You um, said a motion. What? You said a motion. Oh, whoops, yes. A piece of legislation. Oh, curses. Uh, <laughs> curses! Uh, yeah, so anyway, a bill basically dealing with similar issues, though it did not have exactly the same provisions, or even provisions really covering derelict vessels as such so uh typical practice when you have a a private member's bill or motion usually bills actually that uh sort of cover the same kind of topical ground as a government bill the private member's bill gets thrown out by the by the house yeah so i mean there's a couple reasons uh so basically mps can introduce in their pmb whatever the hell they want um and then as long as it has no monetary impact well well even that yeah. But through through the course of business, a bill is deemed votable or non-votable. Yes. And so there's a number of reasons why a bill would be non-votable. Um, and I've magically got the list here. Um, so bills and motions uh, that do not concern, uh, concern Parliament that are outside of federal jurisdiction. So if yeah. you have a bill on, you know, Uber laws in Fort McMurray, then that's not going to cut it. Uh, bills and motions that clearly violate the Constitution Act and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Sure. If you have uh, the Laurent Carboneau bill for CSIS black sites, um, that's, that's probably... That sounds in character, yeah. That's probably <laughs> not going to make the cut. Um, bills and motions uh, must, not concerns quest- must not concern questions that are substantially the same as ones already voted on by the House of Commons or in the current session of Parliament. Or ones uh, preceding them in the order of precedence. So this is, I think... That would be the government. The one yeah. at play here. And to finish it off, bills and motions must not concern questions that are currently on the order paper or notice paper as items of government business. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. I think yeah, this is the that. one. Oh, okay. This is the one that comes into effect. That would make sense. So essentially what happened here is that you do have two avenues of appeal if you feel that you've been hard done by by this process. Correct. One is that you refer it to the committee, the Standing Committee on Procedure and House Affairs, PROC, and the other is that you, and this was actually only introduced in the early 2000s under the Paul Martin government, was that you put it to a secret vote of the House of Commons on whether the bill will be votable or not. 
And uh, this is unprecedented. It has not happened before in the House of History. Because well, this rule's only been around for yes, 14 exactly. years. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the rule was implemented in 2003, 2004, around there. Um, so it has not existed in, or for that long and has only now become a, a thing. So, uh, so t- tell me about the process yes. here. So for three days earlier this week, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or perhaps just Tuesday, Wednesday, at any rate, a couple of days, uh, there was a box in the House of Commons near the Speaker's chair uh, where members could put ballots uh, saying yes or no on whether the question would be votable or not. And today the results were announced this morning. Uh, it was deemed not votable by a secret vote of uh, Ms. Malcolmson's colleagues, um, which is, I think, unfortunate, but there you go. Um, what are, is there any precedent for secret votes in Parliament? Uh, not that I can recall, though. You seem like you're trying to trip me up, so go ahead. There would so be precedent based on the speaker. Woo! Oh, Bingo. you're right! Oh, how could I overlook this? How when there's a competitive this? speaker. And so yes, Malcolmson, right. if I'm not mistaken, um, so the, around a secret vote, there's certain procedural things, and Malcolmson had asked that the results of the vote be made public. That was actually the uh, NDP House the NDP, Procedure Team okay. access, but yes. Um, which is to say how many people voted uh, for side A versus yeah. side B sort of thing. The speaker did not grant this request. Um, no, because he said, I'm going to base sort of precedence here off of the, the only other election. secret vote, yeah. which is the speaker's election. Um, I would note from my handy sort of procedural guide here as well. A.K.A. your smartphone. A.K.A. my smartphone, sort of a rudimentary Brian and Bosk. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. O'Brien yeah. and Boss. O'Brien and Boss. Yeah. I'm bad with names. Yeah, you are. Um, that there's also another option uh, that she may have chosen to substitute an item that had been been deemed not votable with another item of private member's business. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Like so, one of hers, or like she could basically get a, a free PMB. I think she could have got a sw- well, oh, a swap a Yeah, from. that's good. Yeah, because uh, there's a lottery at the beginning of every parliament on private member's business. So basically, you get a slot in the order, and often it's like. You know, they will just never get to you. I mean, there's, so, yeah, there's 320... 38 MPs. 38 numbers aren't my thing either. But cabinet members don't get correct. correct. members' bills. Yeah. So. Nor do parliamentary secretaries, so that okay. limits the list a fair bit. Yeah. Um, so there's like 250 then. Yeah. Uh, closer yeah. to like 275 to 300, I would say. Depending on how big you're... Okay. Spend more time Har- arguing Harvard about this. Cabinet, Harvard cabinet, like 40 <laughs> people or whatever... Uh, and then other oh, parliamentary secretaries. Anyway, double Harper. double it for parliamentary secretaries. Yeah. So, so that was the Harper one, but this one's call smaller. it thirty-five. Double it, call it seventy. Yeah, but now it's like sixty. So anyway, carry on. Let, let's let's keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, this fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. At any rate, there are a lot of private members' bills. In if in many cases, the odds are very good that yours will never see the light of day. And and if it does see the light of day. The odds that it makes it through the entire parliamentary process yeah. are very slim, which is why a lot of MPs pick like I'm Motions not gonna I'm not gonna too. say frivolous, but light legislation light, i.e. the day to recognize X group as like a national day celebration, or to uh, designate the Canadian horse as the national yeah. horse of Canada. Or that National Hockey Day was Linda Duncan. Was it first? Bill. Linda Duncan yeah. did National Hockey Day. Yeah, Edmonton City of Champions. My friend. or yeah, I yeah. I mean, she was my member of Parliament for four years, she, five I got, years I almost. Get her elected. <laughs> I <Good> didn't. <laughs> and then, and then didn't. National Hockey Day came about. That was. I mean, that would have been against Raheem Jaffer. Yep. In, yeah, yeah, that was fun times. Was, we'll get I to cannabis. at the University of Alberta there. <laughs> right. Was it cannabis or cocaine that was at issue I'll say, with Raheem? He, he got cocaine, but he's played the Reefer Madness card against her mm. right oh, at the good. end there. That's Cla- smart. Class act, right? That's Raheem, smart. all the way to the end. Okay. So I think, yeah, that will segue out of uh, this interesting bit of parliamentary trivia, which is, is, is kind of cool. It's a little bit of parliamentary history in the making, and, you know, it's a reminder that your institutions are run by nerds, and you're all at our mercy, really. But it means the astronaut will solve, solve our derelict ship problem, and not know. the... Well, it's like Event Horizon, well, because, but water. Well, because her bill died, so... Yeah, also that. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's on so him. It's up to yeah, it's up to, uh, to he can see a, them from space. A daring rescue, like Commander Garno. 
Yeah, he'll have to do it again. Can I just share a complete? I'd watch this movie also. <laughs> just now that we're talking about astronauts, can I share a completely off-topic anecdote here? You're going. Well, this <laughs> seems to be the episode for it. You so. can't say no. He's not going to edit it. Uh, That's true. No, I do not have that kind of time. He's no. not going to edit it. Um, so when I was at public safety, I remember uh, we were working one day. It was you know in, in the lead up to the election. And we got word that there was going to be a liberal press conference early in the morning, around I think it was about nine thirty a.m. So we're in we're in the conference room, and we are doing sort of the usual morning meeting, and we turn on the TV, um, to watch the liberal press conference. And because it's in the lead up to election, we're like, shit, like what what are they announcing? Did they land some you know star candidate? Um. We thought, and we were speculating around the table, that maybe it was Commander Hatfield. Maybe they'd got Hatfield to run for them. You know who it was? It was Eve Adams. Woo! I remember that. That was great. It was Eve Adams. And everyone was like... Why would you do this? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good riddance. Have at her. There was like a deafening silence. Like, who? Like, why do we care? Yeah, no. That... Well, there was a whole Dimitri Sudas episode of that, too, and that was a whole mess. Anyway, let's not get into that. All to say, Commander Hatfield did not go to the Liberals. Instead, it was Eve Adams. Okay. And Hatfield went to Lake Country. Smart man. That is true. Very, very smart man. Mm. Um, okay, so you guys want to talk about cannabis? Yeah. I mean, so cannabis is a piece of legislation I follow. Etienne's second favorite green bud. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yes, you are, you are technically correct. Um, cannabis generally is an industry I follow very closely, despite having no personal affiliation with the plant. By, by far, it is your second favorite in its family. Um, after the hop. <laughs> after the hop. Yeah. Um, but I find it really fascinating as a piece of legislation. And there's a hell of a lot of things going on with cannabis. There is. Um, f- from the last time we talked, I think about virtually the rest of Canada has come out with sort of the initial details of their framework on cannabis. BC's consulting on it. Like, we're consulting on literally everything. Well, to be fair We have to about them, 25 to 30 consultations going on To be on fair right to now. them, they did have, like, a new government come in after 16 years, which is, like, a long time, and it's, like, the issues have changed a long time with the files, and the, the BC NDP party office are getting a little You know how they... you get elected with a platform, and then yeah, the first thing gotta... to go is... Do you guys actually like our platform? Yeah. <laughs> On cannabis specifically, but, though, because of the time frame that yeah, the federal exactly. government had implemented, the BCNDP came into office behind the gun. Yeah. Um, whereas every but other you, government you avoid that, right? had like, started like planning in April, if not before that, when the Cannabis Act was introduced. The BC NDP got power in what August September August August yeah after a May election mind you um like staff up your office and then you say like oh well what the hell are we doing on this they we did need a good to... three week online consultation which I don't think they've announced the results of and then the subsequent what they're gonna do but yeah Alberta and Legislation other provinces is... have come up with their proposals to varying degrees um saskatchewan's been consulting saskatchewan to your great irritation i might add what do you mean because they did the sort of uh their consultation came back that a majority of people are a large plurality split. people favored it wasn't large it was, it was a pretty 50 50 split split government between pharmacy private stores and uh like a crown corp crown corp was by far in front the health minister, Don Morgan, argued that be- if you put pharmacies and private retail together, it's close to 50%, which is true, but those are two pretty different models. That's, so, that's fine. If, I mean, if you want to take the Don Morgan line, feel free. But I, I love Don Morgan. Great guy. Yeah, you don't know anything of that. I could have made that <laughs> no, name up. You'd have no way of knowing. I have no idea. Um, all, all that is to say, it, it's really interesting to watch. Um, as provinces roll out and sort of create a patchwork quilt of legislation across our fair country. Um, Newfoundland's announced, I think nearly everyone across the country except for BC has. Some of the territories have now gone out on their legislation. Yukon and NWT did it in the past week and a half. Um, Just... Has Quebec? Nerdy side note. Quebec has not... I've never seen a press conference from Quebec, but they've put out a lot of details um, through maybe back channels. 
Quebec is very shy to cannabis. They are one of the most well, conservative. Actually, yeah, like I saw the survey, like nationally, was that Quebec was the most conservative province with regard to popular opinion on cannabis. Yeah, I think it's a Muslim joint or something. I, <laughs> they must. Yeah. Quebecers sort of have a very cautious approach to cannabis for whatever I cultural don't really get reason. That one, to be weird social conservative. Um, so in Quebec, it's going to be sold through the SAQ or a renamed version of the SAQ. It's going to be eighteen. Um, no public consumption. No, uh, Quebec is actually the only jurisdiction in Canada so far to announce no home grow. Yes, that's um, true. And I think the the actual outlets are going to be able to buy is very restrictive as 20, well. Twenty. Well, in the first year of legalization, there's going to be twenty society of cannabis something or other, um, and they're going to f- pursue a primarily online model. Um, it's pretty brutal. The only people more restrictive in terms of home grow is perhaps New Brunswick. New Brunswick is allowing yeah, like home grow, but, <laughs> but it has to be in a locked room or locked cage of some locked sort. <laughs> Doesn't really make a lot of sense, but they've expressed uh, openness to review well, like, that particular that part of their like, legislation. They said that they wanted, like, even like when you have it, the actual finished product, that they want that to be locked up too. Like well, yeah. So, I mean, that's, in my mind, that's more reasonable that you'd have to lock up your stash in some little lockbox or a lock drawer or whatever. Then, then lock up actual a, a growing, than our gun laws a two-meter plant outside that's going to be in a metal cage. Like, this is just unbelievably dumb. It's rare to keep the squirrels away. Alberta, squirrels don't eat cannabis. I don't know. Um, Alberta. I'm just speaking from my experience of growing other things. Alberta had fairly reasonable legislation in that they're one of a few jurisdictions in Canada that allow public consumption of cannabis. This just in, Etienne endorses Alberta NDP. Um, One of the dumb areas that they did was they did indoor grow of cannabis only, which is what? Really stupid. Hydroponics, man. Well, they short growing season. You don't do hydroponics in your apartment. Short sure growing season. Like you have a house. Well, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Hydroponics in their apartment. No cannabis at a commercial scale is not grown with hydroponics. Um, it, it's just weird. You don't want indoor grow. If you can help it, you want outdoor grow. Because of mold. the humidity and the electrical issues and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Folks, mold? Not fun. Yeah. Not good. Don't want that inside. Um, so, to, to bridge back to the federal legislation quickly. Well, let's stop on Alberta for a sec. But yeah. Because even though there's the, what you endorse is the most reasonable model, we just heard that. Yeah. You still have the United Conservative Party saying, or at least oh, one yes. MLA there, highlighting oh, how yes. cannabis is a plant. And you know what else is a plant? Opium. And you know what they had in 17th century China? Opium. And you know what happened in China? Communism. Is that actually the logic? That was the logic he used. It's a bastardization of his argument. I encourage you to watch the full video because it's mind-boggling. Opium? He just goes from the, like, cannabis means the communist revolution is about to happen in Alberta. So the... Which would be great. Yeah, we got two more votes for the cannabis act here. So the argument goes something along the lines of, yeah, opium was first used medicinally, and then it became used recreationally, and then it expanded as a vice and was a plague on Chinese society. So they and needed the cultural was, revolution to I'm not sure it how it exactly just, he linked weird. it to well, now I mean, like, and the cultural revolution. I would, like, frankly, like if, you, like, if you want to talk about Chinese history for a brief moment, like, you had the Opium Wars in the mid-19th century, by mistake, like 1842, 1843, and then you have, like, a serious crackdown under the late days of the Qing Empire and the early Republic of China. God, who, then, knew? Like, who knew? Who knew? Who learned so like, much about China? It's like a communist religious crackdown on opium it's like not really the same story at all but i guess if you're an alberta mla who's like basically just elected to represent farmers i guess like uh i don't yeah i well, and like the biggest threat of communism i in love alberta farmers, i feel like that the ucp would be playing up isn't cannabis but the GSAs, exist- yeah, well i was sure. gonna say the existing socialist government okay which is well, like oh, socialist also, yeah. with some scare quotes but god we can't we get into it, this the, yeah yeah no we won't um, this is the episode of long winding yeah. diversions from our <laughs> yeah, so, agenda uh, yeah, welcome to my uh, new podcast of the sun yat sen hour where we talk <laughs> about uh, the, the 1911 revolution and uh the subsequent legacy of the kmt no let's not do that um so the cannabis act of canada Oh, yeah, so let's talk about the federal one. This is actually something I've been meaning to do, partially because, and and this is rooted in my own sort of ignorance, 
um, which is to sort of update the podcast listeners on the Cannabis Act as it goes through um, the House and the Senate. Well, we're past the House now, but the Senate as sort of an, a, a way of teaching how a bill becomes law, which I think a lot of people don't know. And I can concede that I got a degree in political science. And a degree in political management. Well, no, but at the point at which I had a degree in political science, I could not tell you how a bill became law. I could not tell you virtually anything about the process. Yeah, we didn't have Schoolhouse Rock in Canada. You didn't have Schoolhouse Rock. You didn't have the song about yeah, the bill the going through the Senate and the Congress. Act after the first reading in the Senate today. No, wrong. And wrong. Or it was supposed to be. No. Second reading. First okay. reading is like, see, this is why this okay. is impo- important <laughs> and useful to discuss. I just know because when I couldn't get into question period yesterday, I was like, what's in the Senate? And yesterday was boring transportation stuff. And I was like, oh, cannabis is tomorrow. We'll go to that. Second reading. You're right. It was second reading. Um, so can't stump a ten. The Cannabis Act passed at third reading in the House of Commons after time allocation. Um, so the Liberals are obviously worried about the deadline on the cannabis legislation. So the Conservatives know all about time allocation, as the Liberals have told us. It's time allocation is perfectly reasonable. I'm not. I'm not opposed to time allocation at all. Um, Basically, what it does is it sets. X number more days of debate, and then the bill will come to a vote. If you don't have time allocation, legislation continues to be debated until such a point as the government or the the opposition generally uh, fails to put up speakers to to speak and to debate it. And so a filibuster traditionally, I'm glossing over some things here, is just people continuing to put up speakers so that legislation ever comes uh, comes to a vote. What time allocation does is it says two more, generally it's two more days, uh, a maximum of two more days of debate will be had on this legislation, then it'll come to a vote. Yeah. So the Liberals did this mid-last week. Um, it came, they debated it on, I believe, Wednesday and Friday, and then it came to, it was deferred recorded division uh, to Monday evening, and the Cannabis Act passed at third reading. With the support of the Liberals, the NDP voted against, arguing for more time, and the Conservatives vote against for arguing more time and generally opposed to it. Um, I would note the one Conservative MP who voted in favor of the act was... Scott Reed. Scott uh, Reed. Lanark, Frontenac, Kingston. No. Yeah. Or King, Frontenac, Kingston, Lanark. In the uh, amended yeah. alphabetical order. Get out of here. Call that. <laughs> um, who's conservative MP. He spearheaded uh, the conservative push on electoral reform. He did. Uh, rather successfully. He's a very interesting individual. He's very ideological, um, sort of reformy beliefs about uh, direct democracy and how the country should run. He's, he's a very interesting, very quirky person. Um, Good suits. So his, yeah, great suits. He's also very independently wealthy, if that matters. Um, knock against. Why? why <laughs> I think it's, it's family wealth, but the knock no, for. The vote in favor is he's uh, uh, yearly or annually, he's the MP with the lowest uh, MP expenditures. He does well, not charge. Wealthy, well, right? no, but he goes out of his way to not charge the government for flights for literally anything. I, I don't believe he has any expenditures on his record, like year to year. I, I could be wrong. He's widely respected, though. Like, um, but he's everyone he yeah he's, good he's fairly well respected, well spoken. Um, so in this particular legislation, as with a few others examples, I don't have off the top of my head. Um, he put the legislation to a vote of his constituents, basically. He did some sort of reform, direct democracy wizardry, and he sent he, out his householder. Well, yes, he. So we think the way he did this mechanically was that he sent out a householder, which is sort of the paper you will have received from an MP. This is like it's a mailing that goes to every household in the writing. Yeah, and we're doing this, this, and this, and if you support X issue, please send this back. Yeah, and so he evidently did that with. How do you want me to vote on cannabis? And the majority of his constituents said, "Vote in favor of it." And so he Which voted in favor of it. Those things look absurdly partisan when I get them, even when they're officially not. 
Like even my well, they're they're always people. they're always absurdly partisan. We, we could do we could do a whole a whole thing on on well, this another time. There was a whole bunch of stuff about the ten percenters back in the conservative era. Oh yeah, Sli- slightly different. Slightly different. Agreed. Uh, ten percenters. Do you know why they're called ten percenters? Because they went to ten percent of postal codes. Postal codes. Oh, but, other writings. But why do they only go to ten percent? This actually, because I've never worked in an MP's office. This is something I'm, I'm admittedly weak on. I think it's just on. because, like, you get the householders that go to every no, household, and you get so many of those, and then you get ten percenters that go to. 10%. But the reason it can only go to ten percent, and then it goes to another ten percent, is because, for some obscure reason, like. 50% of the text has to be different for each 10% yep. of the yep. writing you send it to. That is true. That is why they're called 10 percenters. Oh. Yeah. Because for every 10%, you have to change 50% of its... Yeah, it's this, weird. That's just a rule of, of the house. I yeah, think. it's yeah. this ridiculous... It like, makes it a little tedious to do, but uh, now most of the parties just basically have like their comms office produce a bunch of them, and if you're in an MP's office, you can just say, like, I'd like this one, this one, this one. Yeah. And then, like... They're, they're pre-manufactured by... Not OLO. It would have been CRG or LRG, which are the, the research, research yeah. bureaus it's of the party. The extension of leader's office, like in yeah. the research. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, so wait, back to <laughs> Scott Reed. That, well, no, I or, think we've covered Scott Reed. Okay. So Scott Reed vote in favor of it. Um, so good, good for him. Um, I, I think it's an interesting. Do we know how the and block and Lizzie May. I think. Probably both voted. Well, Liz May almost certainly voted in favor. I bet. So, I don't know if she voted in favor. Liz May at committee introduced dozens of amendments that were all shot down. Um, The Bloc introduced at least one or two amendments as well. Conservatives introduced none. And the NDP introduced several. Only the Liberals' amendments, of course. We were saying Quebec was pretty anti... Were accepted. Yeah, is is very anti-cannabis. Restrictive, so... Um, Quebec still to this day is asking for a year-long extension on uh, cannabis legalization, as are many provinces. Um, It is a very common refrain among stakeholders and provinces to say this is enough time. Like, a year and two months is not enough time to overhaul the cannabis system. If only the Liberals had, like, on day one introduced some legislation to say, we promise to legalize cannabis, just to give you a heads up. Start doing it now, and maybe then they could have also like decriminalized it at the but, same time and stopped throwing black people in jail. But you can't. Hey, I just want to correct something. Uh, the NDP Sorry. actually did vote in favor in, at their reading. Really? The yeah. Worth a correction. As did as did Liz May. Did they really? They, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, I I stand corrected. Actually, now that I think the about, black voted against. Also, now that I, I think of it, I remember seeing a count of like two hundred to like seventy. Is, what's the final count at the top there? Uh, two hundred to eighty-two. Okay. Yeah. Um. So where is the legislation now? The legislation, so it passed the House first reading in the Senate or the House, is like entirely superficial yeah. it's it's a quick we present this at first yeah. reading and then it goes on to second reading and the senate has a whole different set of rules for how things come up at second reading and it's insane and it needs especially now that there's like half the senate is in quote unquote independent I, isgs the, the senate i think that needs its own the episode. senate needs to be overhauled yeah I, I personally don't know the senate's procedure for calling legislation remotely well enough to speak to it um, I know that C46, which is the uh, sort of companion legislation to C45 uh, relating to drug-impaired driving, has come up repeatedly at second reading for 20-minute intervals, which seems ridiculous. It comes up, a member speaks for 10 minutes on it, or a senator, rather, speaks for 10 minutes on it, gets one question, and then it's voted to move on to a new piece of legislation. Like, it's sort of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, C45 came up for debate for a little over an hour today at second reading. Um, and at some point, maybe in the next few weeks before the Senate uh, adjourns for, or rises, I guess is more technical, uh, rises for Christmas, the legislation should go to committee. Um C45 is anticipated to go to social something, something, something committee in Senate. And C46 is anticipated to go to like legal and constitutional affairs. Although apparently there's been a bit of a dispute lately. uh, And legal and constitutional affairs want C45. So that's sort of to be determined. There's, There's only so many Senate committees and sending C45 to like transportation doesn't make a lot of sense so there's not a lot of good options 
So we'll see. I, yeah. I imagine the Senate will figure it out here shortly. Indeed. So uh, the last thing we'll talk about, is, and we'll talk about it briefly because we're we are a bit short on time here, is um, the AG reports. The Auditor General puts out a report uh, pretty frequently. I guess they have the big annual one and then typically quarterly ones, uh, or at least biannual, like there's a spring and fall. Anyway, several. Uh, and typically it'll be several topics that get covered, I don't know, in the neighborhood of four to six or seven. Uh, and this year, um, or this session rather, we had ones covering uh, CRA, which was pretty grievous. They found oh my that, god, it was so bad. Yeah, pretty pretty grievous results. We won't get too into that one, just because I, I don't think any of us are really equipped to talk about it. You, you can read it for yourself. I read on you? it. It was something like one in three calls get answered. Yeah. Because so CRA put on like your tax agency. So when CRA Canada Revenue Agency, when you have a tax complaint, you call up their 1-800 number. Yeah. But they put in a policy that said every call should be answered within two minutes. Yeah, but the, what they were doing is that after two minutes elapsed, the call would automatically hang up on you. Or it would, like, start reading, your call's not going to be answered. Try again later. <laughs> yeah, it would, yeah. Just, it would bounce off excess calls in order to... So Basically go- governments, governments introduce service standards, which are sort of their metrics for whether or not they're doing a good job. And whilst these are good, they also introduce perverse incentives. Yeah. To, to game, the system, to game the system. This happens in the private sector too. This yes. is why, like yeah, Telus yeah. and Shaw and that is very important. That is important well. to note. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, with CRA, it was pretty grievous. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. So bad, and not only that, there is some study that said the majority of the information. I I believe it's the majority. The majority of the information they gave was wrong. Yes, that the, was like the a advice that they gave wrong. was wrong. Yeah. So we've created an incredibly complex tax system. Where we don't answer people's questions, and when we answer it, it's wrong. wrong. And then, of course, you're, like, getting your, like, notice, like, hey, you need to contact, and it's, like, you're, like, oh, what do I do about this? Oh, X. And it's, like, actually, you need to do Y. Ha <laughs> ha, too bad. So, I, so I mean, yeah, when I really call <laughs> private companies, there are some who I love, and instead of waiting on hold for, you know, 45 minutes, they take my phone number, they put me in a queue, and they call me when they have someone who can talk to me. Yeah, there are much better systems than this. I think one of the things you mentioned, like they yeah, create oh, perverse incentives. Like that, once that was, you start measuring something, everything becomes about that. Yes. Yeah. And it well, breaks there, the whole system. There's a famous system. story that we keep talking to Liverology. Um, Tony Blair's government tried to implement like a, a waiting standard for uh, EMTs and like ambulance services. And basically what you'd have is, I don't remember exactly what the rationale was, but you'd have EMTs literally idling in parking lots with patients to basically juice their stats for some reason. It's in Michael Barber's book on numerology. Okay. He mentions this as a sort of like, here's the thing that didn't work so well. It's pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> I need to go to the hospital. No. Shh. Rest. You're going to be fine. Just go, sit tight. We go, we go, six we go, people can go to the hospital. Stats, mate. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's not get too into CRA. There's also one on Phoenix, the government pay system. Uh, surprise, surprise. Equally it's an huge enormous, disaster. enormous flaming tire fire. Uh, the one that I read most closely was the one on uh, dentistry services to indigenous peoples, uh, which found some uh, interesting sort of uh, findings. So mostly dental services are delivered through Health Canada's First Nations Inuit Health Branch and a variety of different programs, um, non-insured health benefits or the Children's Oral Health Initiative. Um, and they found essentially that in the case of the Children's Oral Health Initiative, that while it was a successful program uh, at sort of enrolling kids, uh, enrollment had actually declined over the last couple of years, which when you consider that uh, Indigenous people are the fastest growing demographic in Canada and the youngest, when you have a oral health initiative with impressive results that is declining in enrollment and reach, uh, it's a little worrying uh, and certainly I think warrants an answer from the department. So we'll see what comes of that. Uh, Jane Philpott at the Indigenous uh, Northern Affairs Committee today said that they are boosting the funding for it, which is encouraging, uh, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, another thing they found was a similar kind of situation with customer service. Basically, um, the department has been quite bad at advising people at what is covered and what is not. And for instance, they would have changes that were made in you know, 2015 that were just being published now, um, which is worrying. Wasn't there also an issue with um, tracking of sort well, of results? This is the key thing. Yeah, this was the key takeaway from the report was that while uh, Health Canada is good at tracking the stuff that Health Canada does in terms of amount of services provided, 
like you know so many root canals done or whatever they are not actually good at tracking oral health outcomes so i could i could be doing the root canals and they would be going horribly, but no one would ever know. Well, it's, and like, it's effectively, well, and like, is it's the root like canal... tracking how many calls you can, yeah, how quickly? It's not how many people are actually getting service; it's how many calls you're getting, right? Yeah. Like in this case, it's more just like, are the services you're delivering actually improving oral health outcomes? That is unclear. Yeah, right. In and one like, of these cases, people are overpaying their taxes a bit. In another, children are. Dying because yeah, oral, well, well, oral health has dying, knock on but it's, it, yeah. Yeah, Oral health true. has knock on effects. That's effect. true. Uh, but they, they do compound also, and they actually yeah. do become more expensive to take care of when they become acute. For, yeah, I mean, like, same as any yeah. medical condition. But th- there's a case before the courts right now that has been the subject of some political contention where a child with uh, orthodontic needs that have become sort of like. Uh, like a matter of like function. Like it's like just being able to like talk and eat and that kind of thing. Um, and the government is not covering it because they're arguing, whatever, that, that's actually beside the point. The point is more that just, like, these are problems that if you catch them early, they're much less likely to become very serious and require serious interventions that involve surgery and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it would be really good if Health Canada uh, would start tracking this, and I hope they do. They are apparently working on a strategy and have been since 2016. Uh, they have not had the money to do so in the past. Uh, they did hire a contractor to develop this, like, actual oral health outcome tracking strategy which is uh of a pattern that they've done in other outcome they've done a similar thing with uh, the child and family services program I, I think it bears mentioning that outcome tracking is the core of deliverology yes it is like it's about Absolutely. tracking outcome metrics yeah and so if you're not tracking outcome metrics you have no idea what you're actually doing you're not doing deliverology yeah, yeah. which is what the government is claiming you know, is important to it yeah so uh we will see what happens with this i'm a little worried about the contractor thing because they've kind of run into shit shows in the past with this where they've come out with unhelpful advice for instance um the child and family services program uh, had a review in inac uh by a minister special representative appointed by carolyn bennett uh this report I, if you read it, I don't think you will learn anything. It doesn't really tell you anything that anybody doesn't already know, frankly. Uh, and it turns out that actually in the supplementary estimates B, which are being discussed in committee right now, Health Canada is requesting $600,000 to conduct its own engagement into reforming this program, which tells you that perhaps this first attempt wasn't so useful to the government after all. So that's the risks in using contractors. Anyway, uh, that will do it for INAC and for dentistry that we do have beer reviews to do. Oh man, this is almost our first hour-long episode. We've done a couple. You, no, we've, we've couple. never broken an hour before. Well, we can just keep going. We you, can get back on Marno. You guys all... <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. when we started, we were like, we'll do 45 minutes to an hour. And I think we average about an hour 10. Some you, of them go up to an hour half. You, you guys average an hour 10? Yeah. I think we always try and keep them under 55 minutes. We yeah. try. I, that. We've, I think we've gone over an hour before. I have a... You know how economists say there's like... This mental threshold of paying more than fifty percent of your taxes for me, a podcast. If it's over an hour, I'm like, eh, yeah. I don't know about this. It's a big commitment. Yeah, I listen to them incrementally, like just in bits as I do stuff. So for me, it's it's less of a less of a barrier. Do you want to let, let's do a quick round here of pitch your favorite podcast that you've been listening to lately? Uh, ooh, that's a good question, actually. Just hit me with one. I mean, does it have to be political? So I'll, no, I'll, any, anything. I'll go. The new one I just discovered is Secret Life of Canada. Which is a it's only, oh history it's only, yeah like so it's, well history? it's only like four, well no it's like four episodes deep where they have well they have another four like super short things that are just people but it's all it's mostly been how racist Canada's history yeah. is so the first one was like Banff National Park and it's yeah, like yeah, guess yeah. who built it Ukrainian slaves during the First World War nice well, they weren't technically I mean, slaves nice. but they were war prisoners paid a so minimum Jim, wage like, you, you are right we have never produced an hour long episode the closest we've gotten is 59 minutes and 15 seconds so um Se- secret life of canada life that's of canada. your patch yeah i'll go with that good laurent what's yours i don't know man I, i'm i'm too un- indecisive about this i'm just gonna give chapo trap house the to. the default pitch here i mean like don't listen to chapo unless you're already <laughs> left wing and want a good laugh i don't even listen to it. i can't through an no, that's like totally fair. Yeah. I think it's a very particular niche taste, and I wouldn't recommend it to most people for that reason. Um, I don't know. Like uh, the weeds is fun to listen to. I think it's they've done good work on the tax the tax stuff in in the states. It's been it's been not bad. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I haven't. I guess Adventure Zone is fun. Adventure Zone's a good one. Sell, sell me oh, on Adventure it. Zone no, no, just... is, uh, you know the guys who do My Brother, My Brother and Me? No, I have no idea. Oh, okay. well, anyways, <laughs> I don't know any of this. It's them playing D&D. It's pretty funny. Okay, so, yeah. I can get behind that. Uh, mine would be... I think it's Adam West. Uh, Philosophize This. Anyone? No? no. It's vaguely familiar. Um, so it does... I, I don't think... I think he was working at like something like Safeway until his podcast became big time. And now he just does uh, podcast episodes on philosophy. Oh, cool. And, like, they're incredibly good. They're, like, not all political philosophy, but just philosophy generally. And uh, philosophy was actually what's probably what I took away most from university was my philosophy courses. Learning about Plato's The Republic and, you know, take take your pick. Um, And I think literally everyone, like, when I was hiking with my sister once upon a time, I would try and teach her, like, Plato's The Republic against her will, and she would absolutely hate it. I bet, yeah. I bet, and I'd yeah, be I like, bet you were a big hit. And I'd be like, wait, but wait, let me tell you about the myth of the metals and how this perfect society would be founded and stuff like that. I, to be clear, this is not 1960s Batman Adam West. It is not. I, it might be okay. Stephen West. It's something like this. <laughs> I, I don't know the name. Okay. Fear it's something West. But great podcast, and honestly, anyone who's interested in politics, I think part of their formation should be to listen to, or not listen to, but learn philosophy. I think it's like an invaluable underpinning. Yeah, actually, you should take a trade instead, because that's actually useful to get you a job. <laughs> Sorry, Etienne was not living up to his contractual <laughs> obligations, so I have to fill in for him, uh, to the Conservative Party. Um, yeah, so, uh, beer reviews. What do we drink? We drink a bunch of stuff, actually. Yeah. So we had Ephus, which is a stupid name, from a Leftfield well, Brewery. Apparently, they're all named after, I believe, pitches. Apparently, Ephus is a type of pitch. Okay, Leftfield Brewery. I, I, don't, I don't play the baseball. I don't, I don't, I don't play, play baseball, but At any rate, this is an oatmeal and... brown ale. Uh, it I, was good. I actually yeah, really liked it. Yeah, I had it. It was yeah. so smooth. It went yeah, down really, before really I even noticed. Oatmeal so brown ales this? are probably one of my favorite favorite top three types of beer yep. you find a good oatmeal brown ale it'll taste like peanut butter and caramel and it's just phenomenal yeah would recommend despite the stupid name and baseball uh shtick i believe it got uh top i was uh oh, look, rated, the stupid sticker is home plate that's terrible was rated uh second top brewery in ontario by one of the preeminent beer books in can or in uh yeah, in Canada. We had a collaboration from them a couple weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, a collaboration with... With Bellwoods. Our which is friends our at Bellwoods Brewery. That we're struggling through. Actually, Bellwoods, well, if quite, you guys but... want to sponsor us, like that's the sponsorship I would kill for. So the one we're having today is Bellwoods Mahogany, which is a single hot pale ale. Monogamy. 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 Did I say mahogany? You did yeah. say mahogany. <laughs> I'm not good with words. You are not. <laughs> Uh, Monogummy, um, Bellwoods <laughs> makes, <laughs> Mono- or Bellwoods makes phenomenal beer, perhaps some of, well, definitely some of the best beer I've ever had. Um, this is one that I've never had before. I like it a lot less it's the than Chinook, I think their other right ones. Yeah. Well, the Chinook is the hops, right? Oh, so whoops, I'm an idiot. Right. Yeah, no, I'm an idiot. Carry so, on. I'm, so it's, I missed the, the whole thing about Monogamy. When on. it says a single hop pale ale, what it means is it's using only one like variety of hops. Whiskey. Yeah, like and really, so kind of. what we're tasting in this beer is what Chinook hops taste like effectively. It, it's very hoppy, for sure. Especially um, if you don't put anything else in it, you just have that full IPA forward. Yeah, which I'm not opposed to, but this one, yeah, I'm not a fan. So it's all right. When yeah, you when you say IPA. when you say IPA, <laughs> I drink a lot of IPA stuff. Forward, yeah, West but Coast. you're from the West, West Coast. West Coast, IPA. Coast yeah. You actually, there. we might have to open a sun split, which is from Dominion City, which is like the proper. <laughs> it's still for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the proper West Coast or East Coast IPA, which is super fruity. Uh, it's the Vermont style. It's like world class. Well, speaking of fruity, we can move into the IPA number four. We drank a lot of beers. Yeah, and there's another one sitting on the table. So well, this is but. like a mid-level uh, collective arts. is a Toronto-based brewery. They make phenomenal beer. Great labels. Um, great labels. They use like local artists. They're like the Jones cool. Soda of beer cans, and that they all all their beer cans use sort of like different independent artists. Um, this one is their IPA number four using Hullertau. Hullertau, I'm guessing. Say, say it for say me. Hullertau is what it looks like. Hullertau Blanc, comma, Citra, 
and mosaic hops. So Citra and Mosaic are two of the hops that are very prominent in the East Coast IPA style. And I've had uh, them in a few beers out west too. Yeah, I mean it's worth moving. noting on so, like, a podcast ro- here is big rock. You can't always get beers from Toronto in Vancouver and vice versa. Uh, in the same way yes. with wine, because our country uh, is archaic, and I think that's the one thing we can unite around God, the free market approach. God willing, the Supreme Court strikes this down in December slash January. Oh, it it'll be unbelievable if it does happen. I'm all about smashing those interprovincial trade barriers. IPA number four. Uh, yeah, so IPA number four, and then the one we will have when this podcast concludes is perhaps one of my personal favorites in terms of most available world class beers that I can get a five minute walk from home. Is the uh, the Founders Breakfast Stout? You are a big fan of this one. Founders is a Michigan-based brewery. They make some of the best stouts in the world um, by, like, quite a margin, generally. Um, the breakfast stout is phenomenal. Um, I have a couple bottles of their uh, KBS, Kentucky Breakfast Kentucky Breakfast Stout, Kentucky Bourbon. I don't, I don't know what the B stands for. Um, aging in my cupboard. It just stands for the B <laughs> Aging in my cupboard presently. I've had the Lizard of Cause previously. Which Lizard was a, of Cause was fucking great. Which was a blueberry-flavored stout, which I was, mean, it, it was phenomenal. Like, it was weird, but good, but also just I just like Lizard of Cause. Like, it was just a great logo. Founders and makes the best stouts great. in the world, and this week, hopefully in Ontario, they released the Canadian uh, Breakfast Stout, which is a barrel-aged version of this beer with maple syrup added in uh, bourbon barrels. And it's rated twelfth uh, best beer of the world by uh, Beer Advocate, and yeah. goes for twenty five bucks a bottle for seven hundred fifty mils. So now that we are well past the chance mental threshold, uh, <laughs> our, uh, I think we will conclude there. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Short Pants Pod. Uh, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, and as well, make sure that you follow Ian on his various platforms, which he will tell you about. I'm on Twitter at iBushfield. I was on the newest episode of The Docket talking about a bunch of other things. If you want to find out about TWU and why I'm actually in Ottawa work stuff. Trinity Western. Trinity Western University yeah. and why they shouldn't have a anti-gay law school or the, why they think they should. The Docket is good despite their cabal of NDPism. Yeah. That's actually a feature, not a bug. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I was on that and my podcast, Politicos, for all the BC politics stuff, which you can find on all the places that you this podcast is found. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And uh, we are back. You're here. Bye. And look forward to us weekly now. Bye. <laughs>